Max Lambright is an eight-time CEO who's too old to hire and too young to retire. Now focused on mentoring and coaching CEOs and next-generation C-suite executives who are committed to creating world-class organizations, teams, and visionary leaders. Max has been there, done that, and has bought t-shirts for the entire company and has his stories to tell about those experiences, some of which have added benefit of being true. Today, Max will share with us how to become a CEO of your life and how anyone can leave a lasting legacy of measurable impact and also why you should always stay until the end of the movie. Please welcome Max Mann. Welcome everybody to Money 911, where we talk about health, wealth, and peace of mind. And you've heard about my fabulous guests already, but you got to think about this. Max, he's an eight-time CEO, and I really enjoy this, right? here, Where he's too old to hire, but too young to retire. <laughs> Welcome, Max. That is just, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I uh, it's um, I thought that uh, two months ago I was using a line at seven times CEO. It's too old to hire, too young to retire. And I'm just like Michael Corleone. I mean, I get, as soon as I think I'm out of it, they pull me back in. And we just started a new venture a couple months ago. We can talk about that later. But now I'm an eight time CEO and I'm still too old to hire and too young. You know, too, too young to retire. I'm not going to retire because you know what happens, Chris, when you retire. Six months later, somebody's coming to your to your wake right. or your funeral. So I'm not doing that. That's right. My daddy never retired. He worked till he was 91. And oh, that's great. Serious. It's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. in my blood. I'm going to 120. God's will, if it's you know all in health and everything. But sure, I yeah. push it. But the older. You know, there's a there's a way of thinking. The older you get, the younger you feel. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that listen to this show are are CEOs, busy CEOs, entrepreneurs, and some are striving busy CEOs or wanting to be CEOs. And in right. your experience, that's a lot. Eight time you've been in some boardrooms there. How how what's your biggest failure? I'm gonna just hit you right in the front. And how did you use that experience? to become better, a better leader? Uh, the biggest failure uh, for myself and, I, and for the majority of other CEOs, colleagues that I've talked to, has always been uh, a people-based um, mistake or failure and usually hiring the wrong person when A, my gut told me not to hire, B, my spouse at the time it told me not to hire, C, my leadership, senior leadership told, you, told me not to hire, and D, that basically the janitor told me not to hire that the guy was a total schmuck. And guess what? He was. But no, Mr. Ego here, Mr. I'm CEO, I know everything. I'm smarter than everybody in the room. Went ahead and hired him. And six months later, I was out of a job. Mm. Um, and, you know, CEO jobs don't just, you know, they don't just pop up back then in the one ads of the Sunday newspaper and, or today on, on Indeed. So it, it was a, uh, it took me, quite a while to recover from that one. So I, I made the wrong hire and 
that guy didn't wait two weeks to start, you know, stabbing me in the back. And I was on the road all the time. So I wasn't there when all the stuff was going on. And I I heard rumors or, you know, soundings about it, but no, my ego got in the way. So it was, that was my, by far. So what did I learn from that? Well, A, trust your gut. Right. B, listen to your spouse or your partner. C, listen to your senior leadership team. If you, you actually put them in a place, you tell them every day that you trust them. Well, why don't you demonstrate that you trust them? Actually walk the talk, walk the walk instead of just talking the talk. And uh, D, you can always wait to make a hiring decision. You don't have to do it quick. They're not going away next week. They're not going away next month. There's always somebody else that you can bring in. So you don't have to rush into that. So. Yeah, that's great. You know, and I think that's the same principle, no matter if you're a CEO or just a person or <laughs> that yeah. our egos get in the way and right. we get haughty with our gifts. So I've been mm-hmm. there too. Yeah. But in your experience, you know, what sets, what I see, what sets world-class organizations apart from the rest is how leaders can kind of cultivate the, you know, the risk and the excellence, the culture of excellence. Mm-hmm. Right? Great. Yes. Well, you asked what, right off the bat what the biggest mistake is. The, the most critical skill set or capability that a world-class, a visionary leader of a world-class organization can bring to the uh, to the organization is surrounding themselves with excellence. Right? No CEO was ever hired to run the company. CEOs are hired to grow the company. You have a leadership team that's there to run the company on a day-to-day basis. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is, is craft the vision, communicate that vision, get the buy-in from everybody in the organization towards working towards that, that vision, then put together that vision into a plan for organic growth, sustained, profitable, and scalable organic growth, surrounding yourself with excellence, both internally and externally. That means partnering with the right you know, strategic partners on the outside who you're going to go to market with, partnering with the best professional services partners, your bank, your attorney, your outside accounting firm. Those are all tremendous assets if if brought on correctly, if partnered with correctly and utilized correctly. Uh, And then demonstrating on a daily basis that leadership, which, you know, leadership isn't really that tough. I mean, there's 10,000 books about it, but it's really only a three-step process, Chris. You do, you teach, and you leave behind, Mm. all right? You actually do the work. I mean, you do your job, and you bring people in that can do their job. Then you teach them how to be leaders because there are no, there's no leadership schools. I mean, you can go to get an MBA. You can learn how to manage if you go to the right school and you go to class, but there are no CEO schools. There are no leadership schools, which is really a, a, you know, a challenge in business, and it always has been. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I'm old enough that I, I actually worked for some large corporations right out of university where I went to, you know, to the corporate universities. I went to, AT, I graduated from AT&T University. I graduated from NCR's sales school, University of Sugar Camp. Those 
very few corporations have that capabilities anymore. And obviously, they're not available to small and medium businesses. So you have to learn that on the job. And that's one of the roles, uh, really a, a responsibility of a CEO in a small and medium business. Well, that right there sets you above all the others in, in, in excellent. So what kind of advice, you know, for CEOs that are struggling to stay trying to create this sense of purpose and, and vision with their organization? Mm-hmm. The, when, when, I bring, when, I, when I bring on a new client or, you know, I start working with a new client and I work with the CEOs, I don't work for the company. I don't work for their team. I don't go visit their site. I don't need to see another factory. I don't need to see another warehouse. I've been there, done that, bought them, tore them down, everything. Don't need to do that. I'm working with CEO. And I and I the, the question I ask in our first session is, is what do you want to be when you grow up? And they always start laughing at me. And they look at me even on a Zoom call and they realize he's not he's not laughing. I'm serious about that. And then and then they stop and they and there, there's been a time or two when a client has sat there for almost five minutes thinking about that because nobody's asking that question, all right? They represent the organization, so their vision is the company's vision. So when I ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm also asking the question, what do you want this company to be like when it grows up? And that's how you start crafting that vision. That's going to be the way you do business, the reason you do business, who you do business with, who you don't do business with, who you want to be on your team, who you don't want to be on your team. And you'd be surprised how many organizations, how many leaders have not sat down and thought through that. You know, they had somebody on their staff throw together some, you know, Google searched business plan or whatever. That That's not your vision, right? That's not, you know, that, that's not a vision that the rest of the company can engage with. Throw a figure out for you here, Chris. 63% of U.S. employees right now are actively looking for a new role, new position, 63%. All right. There's a reason for that. They don't feel engaged in, in, in being involved, being truly a part of growing something bigger than themselves. They want to be some part of something bigger than a 40 hour. Here's your salary. Here's your benefits. And yes, your dental sucks. But that's the best we can do. All right. Right. The vision that the CEO is responsible and accountable for is what engages those folks mm-hmm. to stay with you. Right. Right. And reduces the attrition and the turnover. That's great. And so in 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 that process, so you you know, you do go beyond a mind map, right? You get mm-hmm. oh yeah, absolutely and all that. And then how do you create the sense of, you know, ownership or accountability um, amongst the team members? So, you know, I know the trust plays a big role in it and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the whole interaction there so that people, it isn't just the top-down setup. Right. We do this for these audiences so they can do this and provide this to their audiences. It's really pretty simple. All right, we, not I, not you, we do this for these people. And then you start having that personal connection to your audiences so they can 
So I now, oh, now I understand what our products and services mean to our customers. And then on top of that, there are multiple levels of impact. And our customers take our products and services and they use it to serve their customers and their clients. You know this, Chris, the whole thing's a circle. Yeah. There, there are no inroads in this business. There's no inroads in the world, in the universe. Everything's a circle. Everything comes back around, okay? That's right. That's right. So there are multiple levels of impact. And if you go in into a, a company of 100 people and say, interview 10 of them, say, okay, who's your biggest customers? Why do they use your products? You would get, I don't know. I just show up and do my 40 hours of work. I just pack the boxes up and send them out. That's not the employee's fault. That's the CEO's fault. That's right. Exactly. Well, you know, I bet you you've got a lot of stories of, of difficult decisions as a CEO. Eight, eight times. I mean, that's huge yeah. for the yeah. average bearer, right? So mm-hmm. you know, how did you navigate and stay true to your own vision but make our decisions? Well, a, you get you get better at it the more you do it. It's like anything else. Um, you, I, I'm not going to say you. I, I got better at it over time. Uh, I got much better at trusting my gut. I got better at um, battling my board and my owners. Here's here's a little tidbit. It gets me in trouble all the time, but your 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 audience will love this. Every every member, every board of directors member, every banker, every owner believes deep in their heart of hearts they could do a better job than the sitting CEO. Mm. Every one of them's wrong. Okay, they can't. All right, it's a whole different different viewpoint and and position from what I call the other side of the desk. I got better at not acquiescing to boards and board members and to, to bankers and basically say, this is the way we're going to do it. And we did it. And I got better at communicating the vision and engaging the, the, the team or the employees within the organization. Um, so it, <laughs> 90% of what you run into, you're going to run into again. Okay, you get the same game. If this bad sports analogy, you know, coaches that have been around thirty years can sit there and tell you, "I know what's going to happen." They're going to tell you what's going to happen five minutes in the end of the game, and they're absolutely right because they've seen it so many times. And you know, after you know, you one of your listeners probably is saying, "Well, you know, this guy's been eight eight times. You think you get it right one of these times sooner or later?" I mean, you know, how many times you got to screw up to do it eight times? Well, I, I did some turnarounds and I did some actually some personal uh, involvement where I had literally a classmate from elementary school uh, develop Parkinson's and couldn't, couldn't uh, operate his business at really any, any longer. And it was getting basically jerked around by his partners. And I got, I got his wife called and said, can you come talk to him? And I came in and I said, well, let's get your company back for you. He says, well, they won't sell it to us. I said, well, let's make an offer they can't refuse. Well, two years later, we were able to sell the company for him. Uh, she's passed. Uh, she she developed, you know, she had 
went through cancer after that, but he is still being taken care of. I mean, obviously he's deteriorated since then uh, physically, but you know, from the health standpoint, you know, from taking care of him, there's no issues going forward. So we were able to, you know, that that took that took quite a bit of uh, engage, involvement. That's uh, and then I've done, you know the other story you ask about story. The, the other one I've I've had it happen no less than five times where I've sat down with the CEO, sitting CEO, the first meeting, and, and they were in tears within a half hour of the first meeting because they were. A, they didn't want to be in the role. B, they certainly weren't prepared. Uh, and, and C, they were lying to mom and dad in a couple of occasions, saying that it, with a, with a uh, sales forecast that was totally fabricated. And my ego always got in the way. And when they asked me to be, you know, take over and get it turned around, I always said yes. You think I would learn after a while? But no, I didn't. So anyway, right. Well. There's a lot going on, and and just on the on this level, how I think it's pretty important. Especially, I, I found like midway in my life with a successful business, and I'm a baby CEO of a couple companies that are mm-hmm. my own. Sure, right. Yeah. But about midlife, I saw, you know, the importance of the give back, and um, it was like absolutely right, and making that shifting it about just that way, but to be able to teach people how they can shift their business into something that is like a living legacy, not just waiting till they pass on and have a legacy. Absolutely. How important is, and it's obviously important, but to mentoring to little baby CEOs and people that are on their way. That to me is the most fun and the most rewarding aspect of what we're doing with, well, well, you see it in the background there, the executive's chair is what we call what I call the aspiring CEOs. All right. Because I'm, I'm going to, can I throw some, uh, some uh, statistics at you? Okay. Um, you've heard of, you know, Wharton, the, the business school at the University of Pennsylvania, you know, McKinsey, the, the considered the number one consulting firm in the world. They, uh, Wharton is starting a new program this, this summer, believe it or not. It's called the Global Executive Program. They're charging $20,000 for its year-long program. And the reason they started this program is they con- they uh, contract with McKinsey to do a survey to find out, you know, how global executives, current sitting global executives feel felt about their preparation and this, uh, for their current role and their, separate, uh, their support from their organization. So McKinsey surveyed 4,400 global executives. These executives had at least 15 years in. Most of them were MBAs from very elite, you know, top-tier MBA schools serving in Fortune 1000 corporations. Ready for this? 83% reported they were not prepared for their current role. Yeah. 64% of them reported that they did not feel their current organization supported them in their role. Now, these are the biggest corporations in the world. You know, the, the GMs, the Mercedes, the, you know, Boeings, all, all those. Mm. Now, just just transfer that or, tra- you know, translate that down to small and medium businesses who don't have those resources, that don't have the access to those candidates or those individuals that have gone to top tier MBA schools that don't have the flexibility or the cash flow, again, those financial resources to provide that support, to provide that 
training or education or preparation for it for those aspiring, those next generation of leaders. Now, I'm going to tell you one more statistic, and this one blew my mind. Tell me what the age of the, the average age of a CEO in the United States is right now, Chris. Maybe in their 40s? 59. Ooh, really? Yeah. Wow. So there's a huge coming transition. Yeah. From my, and I, I am assuming, well, you're 39. So, right. all right, my generation, you know, that, that you know, the baby boomers, the boomers that are going to be, going to be, you know, ex- moving on out and, and are still, we haven't recovered from COVID in a lot of respects from that, yeah. but the transition is going to be huge. But yeah. this next generation, this, what we call the aspiring CEOs are not prepared and their companies are not set up to support them. And that's why we're doing what we're doing with the executive's chair. We're doing that from a virtual online peer-to-peer community where they can get that support, that mentoring. Now you bring up a thing that you brought up mentoring here and I'm a, I'm an evangelist for this because there, to me, there's a difference between mentoring and coaching. All right. And mentors are not always inside the organization. I mentor CEOs because I've been there and I've done it. All right. I I tell them I've been there, I've done that, and I bought T-shirts for the entire company. Okay. Coaches ask, you know, they've gone through their coaching, they got their certification, whatever that is, it's wonderful. There's a need for that out there as well. But if you're a CEO and you've been a CEO, you're a current CEO, why would you hire a coach or someone to guide you or assist you and aid you that hasn't sat in the same seat you sat in, hasn't on Thursday night laid awake in the middle of the night wondering if the payroll is going to clear the bank tomorrow morning, hasn't gone home and told the spouse or the partner, hey, we're not getting a paycheck this this round because there's not enough cash. We got to pay the folks out on the floor. All right. Hasn't gone down and got their sales director out of jail because, one week before their wedding because they were caught in a sting operation. All right. So why, you know, why would you hire someone who hasn't been there and done that and runs through so through some of those situations? I don't know why you would do that. So what we've done is we've put together a group of ex-serving C-suite individuals who have decades of experience doing those sorts of things so that we can provide that resource to them in a safe manner because everyone that gets into the executive's chair is um, you know, we, we vet them. We don't, we're not just looking for growth. We're looking for quality, not quantity. So there's a need for that. Now, Vistage is a great organization. All right. But the other thing, I'll throw one more, one more statistic. I keep keep telling you a quick throw statistics out here, but there are over 650,000 companies in the United States right now, between 20 and 500 employees. That's the Small Business Administration's definition of what a small business is. So you've got 650,000 companies between 20 and 500 employees. Now, would you assume or would you accept the fact that each one of those has at least an average of three executive type positions? Right. Isn't that fair? It's probably low, but we'll we'll just we'll we'll you know you always you know dial it down. So that means there's just under two million serving C-suite individuals and small and medium business in the United States alone right now, okay? So if you say that there's 2 million of those positions, 
would you also then accept the fact that there's probably two potential candidates to replace each one of those individuals at some time in the future? So then you're about six, six million, all right, either sitting, currently serving C-suite individuals or next generation, what we, you asked me about, those aspiring candidates for that, that are out there that aren't prepared and aren't being supported by their organization. So we need the vestiges in the world. We need all the executive coaches in the world. And we think there's a real need for what we're calling the executive chair for a place to help those people get prepared and get supported for that that next role. That's really great. Well, I'm learning so much here today. And it and from everything it's totally missing. This is a missing oh, yeah. this is there definitely is. Yeah. Just, yes. Oh, I'm excited about it because I can see so many places that this can help. And Mm -hmm. so how does a CEO balance these short term, right? With, with the, you know, the future, the big, you know, the little short term challenges and the, and the long term, right. In lasting impact, you know, we want the lasting impact, but then we have the short term goals. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I know what you're asking me, yeah. and, and the answer is, is is you don't, okay? All right, but I understand what you're asking, and I, I want to answer the question here, is that one of the things that we we force our clients to do is to personalize the growth. All right, every business has has their growth expectations for the year and for the quarter, for the year, the month, whatever it is. All right, we we take that to the next level. Is that everybody in the organization, and and we're able to do this because we focus on small and medium businesses, must have a personalized one and three year growth plan. All right, so Chris, let's just say you're a a junior accountant with the firm. Uh, and you sit down with uh, your supervisor or your direct, you know, who you report to directly, and then the the actual senior executive for that organization. In this case, would probably be the CFO. And we, you put together a one year plan for you and a three year plan for you. And you tell you tell these folks that, you know, in three years from now, I want to be uh, I want to be the manager. I want your job, Bob. Okay, that's great. We want we want to you know we want to retain people here. We want to promote from in. So here's the steps that you need to take, the training you need to get, the experiences you need to get, the resources you need to build up in your skill set to do that. Okay. Then we also lay out the plan for this is what it's going to look like. You you know an estimate for you financially. So let's just say you're making sixty grand this year. Just throwing numbers out, you know, pulling numbers out of the air. All right, at the end of the year. With bonus opportunities, we expect you to be making $85,000 on your W-2, all right? And that's going to be everybody in the organization is going to have that plan. Now, let's just say for a minute you say, I don't want to be a manager. I really love my job. I would like to, you know, learn more about the organization and expand my skill set, but I don't want to manage people. Okay, we put together a lateral growth plan for you as well. You still are then engaged in the organization. You understand what your role does. You understand what, as the company grows, this is what it's going to mean for you financially. All right. Those steps, everybody in the organization has one of those plans. Everybody. So they see what their role is 
and why they're taking the steps every day they're doing so we can reach the long-term growth goal, which is obviously the CEO's responsibility. So you personalize the growth. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really good. So speaking about personal, personal life mm-hmm. and professional life. So what is your secret of the balance? Because I know I'm a workaholic. <laughs> and and then starting new ventures is just like, you know, full-time, you know, 18-hour day kind of thing. Yeah. Well, how do you balance that? And with family, it's kind of easy because you're kind of forced to have events and things. But as you become, a, if you're, you're a boomer, a lot of your family disappears and then there's no, you know, right. time to stop now. Work, yeah. work, work. Well, I haven't been the, the most successful at that. I'm not the, I'm not the one I think you want to ask about oh, that because they too. Okay. Well, no, well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, oh. I traveled, I traveled a ton and, you know, I, I missed way too many things, and uh, there there are been broken relationships and broke. You know, I'll admit it. There are broken marriages out of this that you know just didn't withstand uh, that that kind of um, um, I don't know what the right word is involvement or attention or whatever. So um, you know, one of the things I say, and I haven't had anybody disagree with me who's actually served in the role. The CEO's job is the loneliest job in the world, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter, you know, how supportive your spouse or partner is or how your CFO, your board, or your senior leadership team. You still are in a very singular and isolated place. Mary Barra, who's the current CEO of GEM, you know, she was promoted from the, from the truck division, at the time the largest division in General Motors. And she said the, the, the most surprising thing to me that when I got promoted to the CEO role was that I had no peers. Now, she wasn't talking about equality or whether anybody was as talented as she was. She was saying there was nobody I could turn to that understood what I was dealing with. She said, when I was president, I could talk to other division presidents. Now they're reporting to me. All right. So I have no peer up there. It's a very lonely position. And that's why I, in, in my role as mentor of CEOs, when I told you earlier that I work for the CEO, not for the company, that CEO needs someone who, who understands all right, what they're dealing with at the time can walk them off the ledge when they need it walked off the ledge so they don't jump or fall. And can also say to them, look, you don't want to do that. I'm going to tell you why you don't do that. You want to do that because I did it. And this is what's happened. It's going to happen to you as well. All right. So that's another reason why we're, we're, we're putting together the kind of services we are, because it's such a... <laughs> And one more thing here, and you because you ask it the way you did earlier, is that every every client I've ever had, it's always started with a business problem, and it soon morphed to a personal problem. Right. All right. Always did. Every single time. And I know you're not supposed to use every, and I know you're not supposed to do all that, you know, generalization. But every time, it transfers very quickly into a personal problem. Like issues at home, issues with the kids, issues with the relationship, whatever it is. I mean, lots of stuff. Um, the number of CEOs and executives that have issues with substance abuse or uh, with, let's just say, behavior that's not in their best professional and personal interest is significant, yeah. all right? It's, it really is. And we're, we're trying to help with that as well, too. That's great. You are this. Where were you 30 years ago? 
when I first started. I was learning this stuff just like you were and failing miserably at it. And it, 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 I realized quickly that, well, not quickly, not quickly enough, that there's a need for this kind of help. There is a need, Max. And, you know, there's so much here. We'll just have to come back and revisit this again and drill down. I'd love to come back and talk to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, tell everybody how they can get in contact with you and what you got going on. You just uh, reach out to me at max at executiveschair.com. There's the, uh, the you know, and and I got to up, update that uh, background there. There's actually a hyphen between the S and the C in the chair. I just found out from my tech people. I didn't realize that. So, but the the, the email address is max at executiveschair.com, no hyphen. If they, t- if they put in there that they reach out to me and say that they heard me on your show, uh, they get an hour free with me and, and we just talk. Okay. And I can't help the coaching. I'm going to coach them up. I, I, I'm, you know, that's the way I'm wired, but they're not going to get a pitch or anything. That's not the way I do business, not the way we do business. But um, if, if they're a CEO or aspiring CEO, I, I have not run across somebody who has not really enjoyed talking to someone else who's been there and done that and yeah. just talk stories back and forth. So, yes. I really enjoyed just talking to you today. I've learned well, so much. You. and. And I might take you up myself on that hour. And you know how to get a hold of us. You know, you, you know how you get to talk to me again. That'd be great. I'd love to do that with you. Right. And all the people that are listening right now, all the busy CEOs and entrepreneurs, I'm sure lighting up the switchboards. And make sure you guys are subscribing because we have lots of great guests in queue coming up. And Perfect. Max, it's been really a really an honor to talk with you. Maybe just leave one final note for everybody here. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story. My kids hated to go to the movies with me, Chris, because I always wanted to stay till the end of the movie and watch all the credits. All right. Sometimes you, they put those little Easter eggs, eggs in there and they're fun to funny to watch and things like that. But it always amazed me how many people were involved in the, in, in the actual production of the major motion picture. And one day I got the thought was, you know, our life's like that, but we don't get to see the credits. All those people, all those names that roll through there, the the bigger names and the bigger type front, there are our family, our loved ones, our partners in business, our partners in life, our employees. They get a little smaller. And those are the barista that you, you know, you talk to today at Starbucks or the wonderful individual that allowed you to come on their show and, and, and talk to you for 45 minutes or whatever. You know, all those people are basically involved in our life, in our production, but we don't get to see that credits. We never do. That's that's not the way life works. Every one of those people we've had an impact on. And the way we talked earlier, the way to have that measurable impact to leave a legacy is to do, to teach, and to leave behind. You do what you do very, very well. You teach others, that next generation. And we're missing this so much in our, our world right now. We're not teaching the next generation. And it's a failure of my generation, and it's a failure of the leadership we have right now. We're trying in our some small way to, to, to make a dent into that. And then you just leave it behind, okay, because you don't get to see the credits. So that's what I'll leave your your audience with. Oh, that's beautiful, Max. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for having me. All right. There's so much to learn about healthy money. 
I hope today's discussion brings you one step closer to securing and protecting your future. So you can get started on the right foot, go to meetwithchrismeller.com and schedule your free financial fitness strategy session. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Money 911 so you don't miss our next episode, which includes health, wealth, and peace of mind.